Hey, so glad you're uh, here with us this morning. You all are going to be blessed in this service. You're going to be blessed in the next service. You're going to be blessed tonight at 6 p.m., tomorrow night at 6 p.m. as we have uh, Lamb and Lion Ministries here. Now, some of you that are oldies here at Oakwood might remember a guy named David Reagan. David Reagan founded, yeah, some of you know him on a personal level, right? He started this ministry right here in Enid, Oklahoma uh, years and years ago, uh, attended Oakwood and, and loved this church. And he's passed the leadership now on to the next generation, as we all should. And uh, man, you're going to be blessed today. Our speaker uh, for first um, service this morning is Nathan Jones. He's been with Lamb and Lion Ministries for many years. He does like their technology. He's one of their evangelists on staff. Great speaker. I wish I could just download his mind and his knowledge of end times prophecy and put it in my mind because then I'd be right about it, right? But these, these guys do conferences. They speak at churches all over the country. Um, just I feel like the foremost authorities when it comes to this kind of uh, uh, text and scripture and prophecy, and I just know you're going to be blessed this morning. So let's give a warm Oakwood welcome to Nathan Jones. Well, greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope. Oh, it is so excited to be in Enid. Boy, our uh, founder, Dr. David Reagan, says, you guys are going to Enid? This is where I started the idea for this ministry, Lamb and Lion Ministries. And we're a Bible prophecy teaching ministry, and our mission is to proclaim the soon return of Jesus Christ. Now, did you all, when you sang that song about Jesus is coming soon, do you believe that? Do you really believe that? You know, a lot of times it's up here, but it's not quite here. So what Tim and I want to do is we want to get you excited about Jesus' soon return. In the next two days, we hope to do that. Now, when we got here, this is my first time in Eden. I've been to Oklahoma numerous times. Uh, but this is my first time in Eden, and I used a map, a GPS, to get here. And because I knew the destination, but I didn't know quite how to get here. So today, I am going to teach you the destination. We're going to go backwards during this conference. And then I'm going to take a step back tonight and talk about the Millennial Kingdom and your all's role in the Millennial Kingdom. Tim's going to give you the signs of the times and the timeline. So we're going to step backwards because I want you to see the destination first and then how we get there. Because, folks, this is your future as much as anybody else's. So I hope you get excited about that. Again, it's good to be here. Thank you for Pastor Eric and Alan and Rusty for inviting us. And thank you for you all's hospitality. This has so far been a very warm church. We appreciate it. And we thank you for all those who have tuned in online as well. Well, to get into heaven, let's start. You got to start with a joke, right? Yeah. Right. All right. Well, there's this guy named Fred, and he died. And he showed up to the pearly gates in heaven. And there was St. Peter. I don't know why, but St. Peter is always there. And Peter had a list. And he's going down the list. And he says, Fred, before you get in, can you share any experience, any experience in your life that mounted to something that was purely unselfish? Well, Fred thought for a second. He said, well, yeah, actually, I do have something that was really thing. I was walking down the street, and there was this motorcycle gang, and they were beating up on this old lady. They were trying to rob her. Well, I had to do something. So I stepped in, and I pushed the big, bearded, burly brute out of my way, and I took the lady, and I pulled her aside, and then I took them all on. I was punching, I was kicking, and I knocked down their motorcycles, and Peter's eyes are getting bigger and bigger. He says, wow, that's amazing. When did this happen? And Fred looked at his watch and said, eh, about two minutes ago. <laughs> you know, for me, this is my favorite topic to teach on because heaven is, is an exciting topic. 
Because you know what? Every one of us, you and me and all, holds within us an innate knowledge that there's something more beyond this life, that there's something beyond this. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He, God, has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. That means that God has put inside each of you knowledge that there's something about us and about this life that goes on past this, beyond this existence. But with that existence, though, unfortunately, our brains are just kind of too small to grasp. We have an inkling, but as 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Well, how can that be? Well, think about it. You were inside your mother's womb once, right? You started off as this little blastocyte, and then you went up to an embryo, and then a fetus, and then you were born, and you were a baby. Each phase didn't know what the next phase held. We look at caterpillars, same thing, right? They start out as an egg, and then they move up to a, the larva stage, the caterpillar stage. Then they kind of melt inside this bag called a chrysalis, and out comes a butterfly. Each stage doesn't know what the next stage is. But there's a reason, then, why we can't totally conceive what the future holds in that next stage, because we're in this stage. But the Bible does give us an inkling. It's kind of like this. Here's another story. It's about twins, a brother and a sister, and they're inside their mother, and they're talking to each other. And the sister said to the brother, well, I believe there is life after birth. Her brother protested vehemently, no, 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 no. This is all there is. This is a dark and cozy place, and we have nothing else but to cling to the cord that feeds us. Well, the sister said, well, there must be something more than this dark place. There must be something else, a place where light and there's freedom to move. But still, she couldn't convince her brother. And after some time, the sister said hesitantly, I have something else to say, and uh, I'm afraid you won't believe this either, but I think there's a mother. A mother, the brother said. What are you talking about? I have never seen a mother, and neither have you. Who put that crazy idea into your head? As I told you, this place is all we have. Why do you always want more? This is not a bad place after all. We have all we need, let's just be content. Whew. Well, the sister was quite overwhelmed by her brother's response, and for a while she couldn't say anything really, but you know, she couldn't let go of that thought that was nagging the back of her head. And she says, well, don't you feel these squeezes every once in a while? They're, they're kind of unpleasant, aren't they? Well, yeah, yeah, what about that? Well, the sister says, I, I think that these squeezes are there to get us ready for another place, much more beautiful than this, where we will see our mother face to face. Don't you think that's exciting? Well, the brother didn't answer. He was fed up with the foolish talk with his sister and felt that the best thing he would do is ignore her and hope she would leave him alone. Now, isn't it interesting to see how the two reacted to the signs of the times that were around them. The sister felt the pains. She heard the mother's heartbeat. She knew that there must be something bigger, and she waited expectantly for it. But the brother, he lived in what? Fear. He lived in fear of what was to come and decided to ignore that that was going to happen. You know, folks, the Bible says in Hebrews 2.15 that we live in slavery of our fear of death. Most people live in slavery of their fear of death. And I think there's two reasons for that. One, life is short. Psalm 144.4, man is like a breath, his days are like a fleeting shadow. If you would, take a breath with me. 
I just turned 49 last week, and I realized I have less days ahead of me than behind. Where did all that time go? Some of you know that, that it seems like life is so short and it goes by so quickly. So we spend most of our lives looking at how we can avoid death. Also, number two, misconceptions. We are filled with crazy misconceptions that the world has put upon us. I got a video here I want to show you of different people being interviewed about what they thought the afterlife would be like. The cross. I uh, just think of what Jesus did for us. It's a very strong symbol that uh, many people interpret in many different ways. A waste of time and a waste of energy. I think of Jesus Christ and Christians. If there's a heaven, how do you get there? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Heaven? <laughs> uh, which religion, you, which, which one do you want to talk about? Christian heaven? I'd be more likely uh, inclined to believe it that uh, everybody goes to heaven. I think just doing whatever you believe is right. For me personally, I feel that you have to ask Christ into your heart, and that's the only way there. I think that people have different opinions on how you get to heaven. I don't really think that there's one right or wrong way to get there or to be denied access. Be a good person. You know, treat people like you should be treated, like you want to be treated. I grew up in a tradition that that didn't necessarily believe that you have to be saved to get to heaven. Follow Jesus' words. All you have to do is believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and that's it. That's, that's all you have to do, is believe. Isn't that interesting how so many people have so many different views about what, how to get to heaven and, and what's there? And it becomes a lot of misconceptions. And I blame a lot of misconceptions on the cartoons we watch as kids. I mean, how many of you watch the coyote chase the roadrunner? And then oh, he falls off a cliff. He dies and he's on a cloud playing a harp. Or the movies where Yoda disappears and he becomes one with the force. We're ingrained with all these different ideas. So what I want to do is before we get into the topic of heaven, what the Bible says, because the Bible gives us a first-person account, what we can expect, let's go through some of the misconceptions and blow through them, okay? And the first one is called annihilation. The idea that when you die, that's it. And it's very popular with the atheists. Let's see some of the atheists have to say about this. that interesting? They just assume that when you die, that's it. You cease to exist. I was debating an atheist once, and I asked him, well, how do you know? Has anybody ever ceased to exist and then come back to told us? Hmm, couldn't answer that one. Well, Jesus explains in Luke 16 and, and Revelation 20 that yes, there is life beyond here. Annihilation is just like that brother in the womb. Hope 
that there won't be an afterlife. Number two, reincarnation, very popular in the Hindu religion, this idea that you have to keep coming back again and again to shed bad karma until you all become gods one day. You ever heard the song, The Highwayman, sung by Willie Nelson? He said, I fly a starship across the universe divide, and when I reach the other side, I'll find a place to rest my spirit if I can. Perhaps I may become a highwayman again, or may I simply be a single drop of rain, but I will remain, and I'll be back again and again and again. But doesn't Hebrews 9.27 say, just as man is destined to die once, and after that face judgment, die once. So this idea that you keep coming back again and again is not biblical. Well, how about purgatory? This idea that when you die, you have to go to this terrible place where you suffer to burn the sins off before God allows you in heaven. Very popular amongst Catholics. But doesn't Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 say, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Or 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus purifies us of our sins. So no, we don't have to go to a place to burn off our sins. The blood of Jesus was sacrificed to purify us of our sins. Now here's a big one, even amongst Protestant denominations, is called soul sleep. This idea that you're buried in the ground and your soul is trapped in your decaying body six feet under until the resurrection. Yikes! But doesn't 2 Corinthians 5.8 say, to be away from the body is to be what? at home with the Lord. So no, you will not be trapped underground. That's kind of creepy when you think about it. How about angels? When you hear a bell ring, what happens? An angel gets his wings. What? But doesn't Hebrews 1.14 say, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Or 1 Corinthians 6.3, do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? So folks, when we die, we don't become angels. Angels are a separate created entity. They're different than humans. We do not become angels. Or how about this? An ethereal world. This is, I think, Satan's greatest deception, or one of his greatest deceptions, is that when you die, you will go up to heaven as a disembodied spirit, and you will sit on a cloud, and you will play a harp forever. How does that even work if you're a spirit? Wouldn't your hand go through the harp? I got two guys here who are going to try to explore that. Do you think there'll be tops in heaven? What? Tops. In heaven. What, like angels with pearly deep fryers cooking them up? Man, it's heaven. It just rain tots. Or they grow on trees. Tots on trees, that's your idea of heaven. There won't be any tots on trees in hell. I can guarantee you that. Look, if we eat in heaven, I think it'd be something healthier than this. Like carrots or apples. Not something that's going to give you a heart attack. Dude, aren't we dead? I mean... Your soul can't get a heart attack, and you don't even have a body in heaven. Then how are you going to eat your tot? Maybe it's a spiritual tot. Spiritual tots. Colonics got them, others don't. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It's a, it's, a, a, it's a Greek idea called Gnosticism. It was a heresy that entered in the church in the second century. It's not biblical. Now, the greatest misconception that we all have about heaven is that we are born going to heaven. But the Bible says not. John 3.36 says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. When we are born, we are born with a sin nature in rebellion against God. We are all born 
heading to hell. And that's why we need a savior, Jesus, to save us when we put our faith in him and rescue us so that we are then on the right path to heaven. And that's one of, the, I think, the greatest deceptions because as we saw in that video, most people believe that they're just good and do the right things that someday they will just get into heaven. But that's not the case. So let's dive into the Bible. Let's see what the Bible has to say. God himself has told us. And so what I want to do is let's assume that you leave this church, you go out there on the road, and bam, you're hit by a big truck, you're dead. Or right, you guys got an Air Force base, right? Okay, a big airplane comes crashing down and kills you, and you're dead. What would happen? What does the Bible say? Well, according to the Bible, your spirit would immediately, upon death, be ushered into Jesus' presence by his angels, Luke 16 and 23. There you will not be a disembodied spirit. You'll have this called an intermediate spirit body. It's a real body. It's physical. It's tangible. It's recognizable. You're, you'll be clothed. The Bible talks about robes. It is pretty much like this, but you'll have this spirit body for heaven, physical, recognizable, and tangible. And there you will live with heaven, with Jesus Christ, until it's his time to come back and rapture take the church off this earth and bring them to heaven, what's called the resurrection. Immediately then you will go with Jesus and then your resurrected body will merge with your intermediate body and you'll get what's called your glorified bodies. Now the dead in Christ will rise first, 1 Thessalonians 4 says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So if you're dead, you rise first, but if you're alive after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up, raptured up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Now, after the Lord takes us off this earth, the world's going to plunge into the worst time in human history. It's called the tribulation. Revelation says there's 21 judgments that God's going to pour out in the earth for their sins to punish evil, but also to get people down on their knees and repent and return to him. But while that's raging on the earth, we will be up in heaven and we will experience at least three things. One, it's in 2 Corinthians 5, calls it the judgment of the just. We will stand before the throne of God and be judged. But the blood of Jesus already purifies our sins. Our salvation is secure. It's a judgment for rewards, for the works that we did on this earth that we allowed the Holy Spirit to do through us. The works will be judged on their quantity, their quality, and the motives behind them. We will also celebrate, according to Revelation 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a giant celebration. The Lord Jesus will have the, he's called the bride of Christ is what all who are saved in the church age are called. And he will have a big celebration over that. And then we will prepare to return with Jesus back to the earth at his second coming. Now there's 500 prophecies in the Old Testament and one in 25 verses of the New Testament that talk about Jesus' second coming. Revelation 19, 14 says, the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. That's us, folks. That's you if you know Jesus as your savior. We will follow Jesus. We'll just watch. We don't get to participate in him defeating Satan and sending him into a bottomless pit. The antichrist and false prophet who will rule the world and uh, he will defeat them and send them to hell. And then he will set up his kingdom of peace and righteousness and justice on the earth. And tonight I'm going to go into great detail about that. And then we will rule and reign with Jesus in our glorified bodies over those believers who survived the tribulation and will go into this millennial kingdom, 1,000-year kingdom. 
At the end of this kingdom, there will be one last rebellion when Satan's released. Jesus defeats it quickly, and he holds what's called the Great White Throne Judgment. Those who rejected God throughout all of history, they too are resurrected. They stand before the Lord, and they are judged as well. But they don't have salvation. They never took the one work that matters, Jesus' work on the cross, and they will be sentenced to hell. So that's kind of a timeline of what happens, because after that, you go on into eternity, and that's what we want to talk about here. So what's heaven like? What's it going to be like? If we're going to live there forever, let's tell you a little about what about. Do you believe that the Bible actually teaches that we're not going to stay in heaven? Heaven is going to come down to a new earth. God's going to renovate the earth. He's going to make it like it was in the Garden of Eden again. It'll be a paradise with no curse. And the heaven coming down to the earth is a super city called the New Jerusalem. John 14, 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I, Jesus, am going to prepare a place for you. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is there preparing it right now. Heaven will come down to earth. And folks, you might call Enid your home, but that's your real home. That's your eternal home. That's the home that you were made for. Now, it's strange. It's physical, of course. It's not intangible. The Bible actually says it's 1,500 miles cubed. It'd have to stretch, if it was on this earth, from Canada to Mexico and from the Atlantic to Colorado. It's that big. Matter of fact, scientists say that, that the earth would have to be the size of Jupiter to hold a, a city of that size. Even if it had 20 billion people, it would still mean that each of us would get 70 acres cubed. It's that big. The streets are of pure gold. You always hear that? The streets of gold are there. It has a foundation of 12 layers of precious stones, emeralds and sapphires and amethysts. There's 12 gates made out of a single pearl, one per gate. The throne of God lights it, and it emanates like a rainbow surrounds it. There's four living creatures called seraphim that stand before it, and they worship the Lord. There's 24 elders who sit on thrones around it, and the angels and the us, we will all worship the Lord. The river of the life, the tree of life that we saw in the Garden of Eden is back again, and there God lives, and we live in perfect fellowship with him. Exciting, huh? Now, besides the tangible things, I like to say about the intangible things, the important things. So in his book, Evangelist D.L. Moody said, when I was a boy, I thought of heaven as a great shining city with vast walls and domes and spires and with nobody in it except some white-robed angels who were strangers to me. Well, by and by, my little brother died and I thought of the great city with walls and domes and spires and one little fellow I was acquainted with. He was the only one I knew at that time. Then another brother died and there was two that I knew. Then my acquaintances began to die and the flock continually grew. Then my acquaintances, uh, my children, I sent a little one to my heavenly parent, and I began to think I had a little of myself there. I lost a second child, and a third, and a fourth. And by the time I had so many acquaintances in heaven that I didn't think any more of the walls and the domes and the spires, I began to think of the residents of the celestial city as my friends. And now so many of my acquaintances have died and gone there that it sometimes seems to me that I know more people in heaven than I do on earth. How many of you can say that as you've gotten older? You know more people in heaven than on this earth. That's the glory. See, that's our family. That's our eternal family. And that's the true joy of heaven. Our heavenly Father, our Savior Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and our heavenly family. 
Well, if we're going to get new bodies, what are those like? 1 Corinthians 15 says, The body that is sown perishable dies, is raised imperishable. It can't be destroyed. It is sown in dishonor and sin. It will be raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It's going to be raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it's going to be raised a spiritual body. And so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Who is the man from heaven? Jesus Christ. Jesus' resurrected body is a template for what ours will be like. Can't be destroyed, immortal, glorified, powerful, spirit-controlled rather than sin-controlled, tangible, recognizable, which is really a shame. I was hoping to lose the nose. But they will be able to recognize me and no weaknesses. And Jesus could do some really other neat things. He'd just like to show up in a room and just scare the apostles. And he ascended to heaven. So maybe when you live in a city that's 1,500 miles cubed, Maybe we don't have to wait for an elevator. Maybe we fly. Who knows? And in a perfect body, you know, we're in a degraded one now. Think of the colors that we'll be able to see. Maybe into the ultraviolet spectrum. What about tastes and smells? All these things that are degraded in these bodies will be perfected there. And we will be given rewards, interestingly enough, for the work that the Holy Spirit did through us. We receive the glorified bodies in Jesus' name. We each receive crowns crowns that we can use as an eternal act of worship before the Lord. We're given white robes. I was kind of hoping for a little color, but the Bible says white robes. And you know, we're given new names on white stones. You know, Jesus was always renaming people, right? Because he knew their real names. So when I was dating my wife, she said, well, Nathan is kind of a nerd name. I said, well, in heaven, I'll be renamed Optimus Prime. <laughs> and she said, oh yeah, Quite a nerd. Okay. But we will get new names when we get up to heaven. We will know true comfort and mercy and justice. We will rule under the Lord as administrators, teachers, executives, and mayors. And, you know, there's a whole universe out there. Who's to say that it isn't beyond the earth, but into other solar systems and galaxies? Who knows? We've received salvation rewards from the, having to live through the tribulation, the judgment of the second death, and eternal life. And we're giving honor to the Lord in heaven. So, folks, this is why we were created. Each and every one of us was created to have fellowship with God. That's why we were made. Isn't that amazing? The God of the universe wants to fellowship with you and me. We'll have work. Any of you all retired? You're going back. There will be work, but it'll be satisfying work. It will use all the gifts and talents and skills. You'll have ages to learn skills. I did three. I, I appreciate the violinist up here. I did three years on the violin until my teacher said, please stop. And so I would like to take a few thousand years to, to get better at that. There'll be huge choirs of worship. We'll tour the universe and we'll get to be with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that exciting? You have a great future ahead of you if you know Jesus as your Savior. I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the timeline of the unsaved, that those who have rejected Jesus' salvation, what is their future? Let's say that you do not know Jesus as your Savior. You go outside, plane crashes into you, you're dead. What will happen to you? You'll be immediately escorted, according to Luke 16, to a place called Hades. It's also known as Sheol or Torment. It's a prison. It's a holding place for the damned. And there they will stay until the end of time when the Lord holds the great white throne judgment. Revelation 20 says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in them, 
And death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. But they didn't have the one work that mattered, the work of Jesus Christ's salvation. And so they are destined, according to Revelation 20, to hell. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, there's some false ideas about hell, too, right? Like Satan rules hell. You know, he's, he's got this big pitchfork, and he's stoking the fires. Hell was created for Satan and the demons. But when humanity fell, we fell under that same sentence. There's actually nobody in hell right now. The Antichrist and false prophet will be the ones sent there first. The Bible defines hell as punishment for rebellion, Matthew 25. The wrath of God, John 3:36. The second death, Revelation 21:8. Eternal destruction, 2 Thessalonians 1:9. And there's no escape, Luke 16. It's a place of flames burning. And even with all that fire, Matthew 8 calls it outer darkness. There's a stench to it. It stinks. There's a conscious existence why we're there, that we have rejected the only version of salvation. We said to God, I want you to leave me alone. Just leave me alone. God says, I'm a gentleman. I will. Okay. And he steps back. But God is a source of life. And without him, you experience eternal death. And folks, as we study this, it's why it's so important to understand and have an eternal perspective in this life. Because where you go in life really matters, right? It was, he was getting to the end of his life. You all know Johnny Cash? I'm sure he's big in Oklahoma. Johnny Cash, great singer. As he was uh, getting near the end of his life, only three months before he died, he said, I want a song that represents my life. So I'm going to skip ahead here. Full of broken thoughts 
What did Johnny Cash call his fame and fortune and prestige? The Empire of Dirt. You know, an American tourist was visiting the 19th century Polish rabbi Hoifitz Chaim and astonished to see that the rabbi's home was only a simple room filled with some books and a table and a bench. The tourist asked, Rabbi, well, where is your furniture? And the rabbi replied, where is yours? Mine, asked the puzzled American, but I'm a visitor here. I'm just passing through. So am I, said Hofitz Kayan. You know, there were two men who were dying across the town from each, uh, one another. One was a very wealthy man. He had amassed a small fortune. He had a beautiful mansion on the lake, a boat, a yacht. He had a nice car, and it sat out front of his house. But there was a second man, and as he was dying, he had been a, a small country pastor. Uh, he loved the Lord a lot, but he didn't have very many things. And when the first one, as he was dying, he moaned, I am leaving home. Oh, I am leaving home. But the pastor said, I am going home. I am going home. So you have to ask yourself, are you leaving home today or are you going home? Now that's the only decision that really matters in life, isn't it? What your eternal destiny is. And when you have that eternal destiny in mind, it refocuses your life and prioritizes the right things. Now, I know you all here on a Sunday morning love the Lord, and you know Jesus as your Savior. Go out and share it with others. But those of you who do not, and I'm sure there are some here who do not know Jesus as Savior, you're heading to hell. But that doesn't have to be the way it is. You can turn to Jesus Christ and pray from your heart, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I need your salvation. Please, please save me and be the Lord of my life. Jesus will do just that. Your sins will be forgiven. The guilt will be washed away. And you will inherit eternal life with him. Thank you and God bless.